Hello, everyone, and welcome to this special edition of Employment Matters, brought to you by the Employment Law Alliance, the world's largest network of labor and employment lawyers from the best law firms around the globe. I'm your host, Pete Waltz. Today's a special day. It's Tuesday, and on the Employment Matters podcast, that means Travel Tuesday, where each week we get the chance to dial in our local members from all around the world who share with us important things about doing business in their jurisdiction. Today, we're going to be learning more about doing business in the kingdom of Saudi Arabia, and I'm pleased to welcome to the show Sarah Koja, a partner at Clyde Co. LLP. Sarah, how have you been? Great. Thank you. Very well. Wonderful. Well, let's talk about this country. Big, large landmass over there in the Middle East. Uh, a lot of people know about it for oil and other things, but I think from a general overview standpoint, a lot of people could use an update for sure. So fill us in, if you would, on a general overview of the jurisdiction. Maybe a bit about the economy, the government structures, and so forth. Yes. So I would say that it is an incredibly exciting time to be in the kingdom of Saudi Arabia at the moment. There is an enormous amount of activity going on culturally, socially, economically. As you say, it is actually a huge country. On a map, it looks like a a nice big square, which often you you don't realize just how big it is. It is roughly two-thirds the size of the Indian subcontinent. It's almost the size of Western Europe. So we're talking about you know, a huge country, and it is a, a G20 country. So it's a very significant country. It's the largest economy in the Middle East region. And in terms of population, it has a very, very young population. It has about 30 million people, so a small population for the size of the country. But you know, as everyone will know, it's a desert. It's a desert country. So not many parts of the country are habitable. And so that would explain the kind of small population. But a high proportion of the population is very young. So 70% is under the age of 30. So every year, year on year, we have, you know, about 300,000 people joining the workforce looking for jobs. And I think that creates a lot of dynamism, but it also creates, you know, big public policy initiatives to create jobs for young people. And in terms of government structure, we are one of the few, let us say, absolute monarchies still left in the world, but with a consultative council, with regional and district governments, so provinces and provincial governments and royal commissions. And the national language, so the official language is Arabic, but English is very much widely spoken and is the main business language. So let's talk about some of the industries over there. And obviously, we've got an energy industry and oil and so forth. But what other types of things, in addition to that, are key industries in the jurisdiction? I mean, as you say, of course, the main industry is the energy, oil and gas sector. Saudi Aramco is one of the biggest companies in the world. And all of you will know that, you know, it it, in the past sort of couple of years, it listed a proportion, a very small proportion of its shares, but it was you know, a huge offering and a huge buzz when it did that. Now, we have in the kingdom what is called Vision 2030. It was published a number of years ago with a number of goalposts. And, you know, unsurprisingly, these goalposts are supposed to be achieved by 2030. Very, very ambitious aims. And, you know, the underlying principle of it is to diversify the economy away from oil and gas and to make it, you know, more sustainable, and just to unleash the power, the economic power of the kingdom. And as part of that vision, there are targets for healthcare, education, military capacity as well as one of them, technology, IT capability, and entertainment, tourism, 
creation of jobs and, and also female participation in the workforce. That, that is a key target within Vision 2030. Now, as part of that, you then see what's called the Giga Projects. So these very, very large projects that have been set up by the government and are being funded by the government. So some of the petrodollars are going into these projects. And to name a few of them, NEOM, which maybe is, is the more famous one that everybody would hear of. It is basically a city that is being built from scratch in the northwest of the kingdom on the Red Sea. It is the size of Belgium. And it is designed to be a next generation modern city with inbuilt AI, you know, the highest tech possible, you know, robotics and, and all of that stuff. So it, it's an incredible project. It is very fast moving. Aside from those, we also have some of the other projects that are built on sustainability, but also really tourism. There's the Red Sea Development Project, which is also linked with the Amala Project, two resorts basically being built on the Red Sea. And in Riyadh, we have a project called the Gidea Project, which again, really is building an entirely new city with a focus on entertainment, leisure and sports. Everything's happening in Saudi Arabia. Let's talk about employing people in Saudi Arabia. So let's say I'm a US company or I'm a European company and I want to move into Saudi Arabia and take advantage of some of this tech and, and this young workforce. What are some of the key structural issues I need to know about when employing locally in the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia? I think the first thing is that you will always need a local entity. There will always have to be an entity established in the kingdom to employ people working here on the ground. And for foreign nationals, that means that they also have to sponsor the residencies and the work authorization so that they, they can lawfully work in the kingdom. Now, the structure, the employment structure under the labor law does distinguish between Saudi nationals and non-nationals. Non-nationals have to be employed on fixed-term contracts, whilst Saudi nationals can also be employed on fixed-term contracts, but these will, with time, automatically convert to permanent contracts. For foreign nationals, that is not the case. They will always be on, on fixed-term contracts. So one of the big aims, and again, it really goes back to this very young population and the desire to transfer skills and sort of encourage, I think, just local localization and development, there's a big focus in the labor law on succession planning. And if you like, you know, formally the replacement of foreign nationals with, with Saudi employees. Now, you know, that doesn't mean that foreign nationals have no place. Actually, the kingdom is also in parallel working on a number of initiatives to kind of attract the brightest and the best, you know, and new ideas and entrepreneurs and, and all of the rest of that. So they are actually working hard to introduce new types of visas, which you know, will encourage people to come to the kingdom, set up businesses, invest in the kingdom, and, and, and so on. But as a matter of employment, foreign nationals have to be on, on fixed-term contracts. There's also a few kind of pointers, I would say, in terms of benefits. The legal employment framework provides for minimum floor of leave, sick leave, other types of leave. Pay has to be run locally. There has to be local payroll, at least partially, into a, a Saudi bank account. And there is protection for health and safety in the workplace. Workmen's sort of compensation if there's an injury at work or a disease is contracted at work. And I'll finish off just basically on this summary with one of the key benefits, which is called end-of-service gratuity. It's akin to a savings scheme. It is something that's linked to end-of-service 
employers have to accrue for it and pay out on termination of employment. So in general, Sarah, would you say that the Saudi climate or the business climate is pro-business or pro-employee? What's your thoughts on that? It's pro-business in that I would say the employment framework whilst established, you know, it's not particularly cumbersome. It's not particularly difficult to comply with. It's quite clear. It's transparent. And so it's employer-friendly in this regard. It's also employer-friendly in that, let us say, depending on your point of view, works councils and unions and, and, and sort of collective employment issues are not a feature of, of this economy. That can make it perhaps easier for private businesses. It is employee-focused in that the minimum entitlements in the labor law are, you know, they are sort of sacrosanct. Employers can't really deviate away from them. So payment of gratuity, for example, and termination of employment is quite regulated in terms of there should be a valid reason. Now, we can flip that over to also saying, yes, you know, the employment law protects employees from termination, but actually it also gives employers a big get out of jail card, if you like, in that the labor law allows an employer to agree with its employees what the compensation will be if they dismiss without a valid reason. So basically, if they dismiss unfairly. So whilst you know, that payment would, would always have to be made if there was an unfair dismissal, you can agree it with your employee. So you can limit the liability. You can, from a business perspective, know what the liability is and, you know, if necessary, even budget for it. So there is a framework there. It is, it is protective in one regard, but I would say you know, there's also a lot of protection and clarity for employers. Wonderful. So let's talk about the cross-border opportunities. You did mention some special programs around visas and so forth, but how would you describe the cross-border travel and the immigration standards to KSA? And what do some of those business opportunities look like? So I would say that for all of, all of the people who have been working in the kingdom for a number of years, you know, and people in particular who worked in the kingdom in the 80s and 90s, it is a sea change. It is an incredible difference now that you see on the ground. You arrive in the airport and you will see, you know, a sign for people to go if they have visa on arrival, which, you know, before was unheard of. So the kingdom is trying to promote tourism. It has a sort of advertising campaign in various countries to promote visit Saudi. And so the opportunities to come here are much increased even if it is to come here on a visit visa to meet potential contacts, meet potential businesses that you might want to contract with, the opportunities are wide. And then in terms of business opportunities, I again, with some of these projects that are going on, they are, you know, billions of, of dollars are being spent on these projects. And the government, you know, all of these people need services. And, you know, you can see the supply chain trickle down. There are opportunities for large companies, medium and, and small. And, and so I'd, I'd say, there's an incredible amount of opportunity here. Well, Sarah, this has been a great conversation and learned a lot more about Saudi Arabia for sure. Thanks so much for your time today. Thank you. If you'd like to connect with Sarah Koger, you can find her bio by clicking on her name in the description of this podcast. Also visit ela.law to receive invitations to our upcoming webinars, download white papers, get access to on-demand content from the online library, or use the ELA's exclusive Global Employer Handbook. You've been listening to Employment Matters, a podcast brought to you by the Employment Law Alliance, the world's largest network of labor and employment lawyers from the best law firms around the globe. I'm Pete Waltz. Thanks so much for listening.